Hi, I'm Susan Clark. And I'm Chris Marie Campbell. Welcome to the Beauty of Conflict podcast. Have you ever wanted to take some of what you've learned on the podcast to the next level? Well, check out our new step-by-step, easy-to-use team kit to get your team from avoiding conflict to discovering the beauty in conflict. To learn more, go to www.thriving.com forward slash team kit. That's www.thriveinc.com forward slash T-E-A-M-K-I-T. Hi, I'm Chris Marie Campbell. And I'm Susan Clark. And today we have a very special guest back with us for the second time, actually third, but we'll say with second time for now. (laughs) Jason Patton, PhD, is an organizational leader, author, speaker, consultant, thought leader, instructor, and workshop facilitator in the fields of global leadership, and global diversity, equity, and inclusion. Through his independent business and his partnership with Bridge Labs, he loves partnering with organizations of all kinds to create thriving workplaces and classrooms where people feel they truly belong and where they can unleash their full talents. He explores all of these themes in his new book, Humanly Possible, A New Model of Leadership for a More Inclusive World. Welcome, Jason. Yes. Thank you so much, Chris, Marie, and Susan. I am just so happy to be back with you. I love every moment I spend with you, and I really appreciate you inviting me back just to have a chat. Oh, absolutely. And we met through when you were leading the, can you say the name of the program that you were leading that I took? Yes. So I was directing the Robertson Center for Intercultural Leadership at International House at UC Berkeley, and the program that you joined, it was the Inclusive Global Leader Certification, I think. Yes. 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 Okay. You've written your book, which is great. We're going to talk about that. But you continue to produce blogs that we're just like, oh, we love that. That's so in line with what we do, Jason. So we're just really happy to have you talk about the threat detection process, power and how that plays into things, and all the topics that you cover in your Humanly Possible book, because I think they're just so relevant for our listeners. Thank you. Is there any one of them you'd like me to touch on Well, let's just get started with one of the themes that's always high on everyone's list to talk about, power. And how it tends to muck up everything. And I'm also (laughs) saying that from the perspective, because right now there's just so much going on in the world, even beyond where people get into the power dynamics that are causing some of the conflict. And I don't know if you can eat, if we even want to go there, but at least talk about it from the standpoint of it shows up everywhere and it can sure get in the way if we're not conscious of how power comes into play. Not to change it, but to become conscious and make choices that are responsible. Because there's always going to be people with more power and less power in that regard. Yes. So there's a story that I've told that's, I'll I'll tell the story and your listeners can decide if they like it or not. But it was a moment of, it was an awareness generating moment for me. And it, it, it was almost 10 years ago now. I was relatively new at that time to the world of running. And I had entered a half marathon. I think it was my second half marathon. And I was having such a great race. I was just, the miles were clicking off. I was, my watch would beep after each mile. I'd look down, whoa, yeah, I'm doing so great. I'm so fast today. I feel so good. It's mile seven, mile eight. It was a 13 mile race. About mile eight, we hit this turnaround point. And I turn, we all turn around and I'm just hit full force in the face with this really, this wind, headwind. Oh, it's just oh, like oh. blowing me backwards almost. That's <laughs> what it felt like. It's a whole, it's all, Oh, the wind was blowing at my back. And that's, yes, I had trained. Yes, I I had worked hard for what I had. And I also had this really nice tailwind pushing me along without any realization that the tailwind was pushing me along. (laughs) 
I had to fight my way through those last five miles. I was on pace for a personal record. I did not set a personal record that day. But it was a real, quite the realization for me around around power. And specifically, so when I, in the book, when I talk about power, there's two dimensions that I focus on. One is organizational authority, which that's all that you can look at an org chart and see who has more power based on organizational authority, but also privilege. And privilege is just, it's a form of power that's extremely difficult to diagnose for folks who have it or have more of it. It's not like it's binary, right? We all have some level of privilege. I'm a cisgender, heterosexual, able-bodied, educated white man. <laughs> I check a lot of those boxes when it comes to having a tremendous amount of privilege in this society, in this world, because I happen to inhabit this body. And the thing, what I like about the story and the reason I like to tell it is that we don't tend to notice power when we have it. It's bad. Yeah. <laughs> you don't know it until you right. turn around. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. And then so you take that as one piece and then you look specifically at U.S. society and the myths that we have around around who we are and how. And I was saying, I'd, yes, I trained for the race. Yes, I worked hard to be running in this half marathon. And that's only one piece of the puzzle. We are so invested, broadly speaking, as a culture. When I say we, I'm really mean the power structures here in perpetuating this idea that we somehow are responsible for our own outcomes because that prevents us, that that alleviates us, or I guess relieves us from having to think about how we might have lucked into some things. And that's really how I look at privilege. It's a form of luck. That's all it is. It's just plain luck. And if we now think about the workplace, not quite yet. Another thing about power is that it feels good. And I talk about this in the, in the introductory chapter of the book as well. It feels good to have power because it means that we have a sense of security or safety. We think about the context of evolution, the struggle for resources for survival. That's how we came to be because of the survival instincts that we have and the amygdala threat detection mechanism that tells us when our survival is at risk is an incredibly handy device, a really handy mechanism for helping keep us alive. And so when we have power, it means that our chances of survival are greater. Our chances of an early demise are lessened. And so when we have power and we don't and we don't even notice that we have it, it just we're cruising along, feeling really good. And other people are suffering. And that's the part that we miss is that power bestows benefits at the expense of others. And it's really unpleasant to think about that. And so it's very easy to get resistance when we start to talk about power and especially about privilege, because like I said, you can look at an org chart and say, okay, there's the CEO and there's the C-suite and there's the vice presidents and the directors, whatever. We don't have org charts or anything like an org chart when it comes to privilege. And so just I'll, one, one more last quick thing and then I'll see how it's all landing. In the book, what I focus on is how we being folks who have more power and more privilege can use that as a tool to create more inclusive workplaces as opposed to the default human condition of just steamrolling and making other people's lives more difficult and actually perpetuating in unjust systems and structures. So I was thinking about what you said, you were going to ask how it lands and I, one, I love the story. I think that does, it's, I don't, I haven't experienced that running. I'd probably quit if I was running. But on my bike, I often am amazed <laughs> yeah. whatever direction I head out. On the way back, the wind is against me. So <laughs> I like, you know, and I'm like, oh, okay. No wonder I was having such a great ride. When I think about it from the lens you put on, that's a great way to think about it. And 
The one thing I was, so I was appreciating that. And I also, you said something and I noticed myself having one of my little, okay, red flag. I want to come back to this because you said it's all love. And there's a part of me that does think there's some truth to that. I agree. There's a certain percentage. Then there's also differences though, because I, I think about, like for me, when I was realizing how I had found myself in a victim stance, the idea of recognizing I had choice, which is not luck. It's an actual conscious effort to choose. Mm-hmm. And it, we all do have that. It, there's that piece underneath there that even in the worst of freaking times, people have been able to recognize it's not all against me. I have to decide what I do have, where I do have choice and some ability to decide how to demonstrate my life. Now, I think you might be saying, if I become aware of my privilege, that's uh, also a place where I could use choice in a really effective way to be useful, not just disempower my privilege, because that doesn't do anything, right? So tell me, these are the thoughts I'm having at your Great. I love it. Those are great. And I think I was probably not as careful as I should have been. And if I left you with the impression that I was saying that it's all luck, I think what I meant to say was that privilege, specifically that aspect, is luck. That's one way to think of specifically about privilege. And then... I I think this might be helpful for our listeners to define (laughs) what you mean by privilege, like being born white is luck. Mm -hmm. Yes. That would be a luck, lucky break, or being mm-hmm. born with wealthy parents or in a good neighborhood and or able body, fully able body. That's yeah. A certain, is that what you're meaning by luck? Yes. Unearned advantage. And and also, so this is another dimension to privilege that I hadn't thought about until I read So You Want to Talk About Race by Ijoma Oluo. Mm. Not just unearned advantage, but advantage that is just, it could be earned, but the degree of advantage that you gain is disproportionate to the amount of work you put in. So I'll give you an example. I have a PhD. And the PhD, yes, I worked hard for many years to get my PhD, but the PhD has granted me so friggin' much. It's granted me access to jobs I couldn't have. It's granted me access to higher salaries, better vacation packages. Though you can just, all of the stuff that comes with elevated organizational positions I have had as a result of the PhD. Yes, I worked hard for the PhD. Look at what I was doing every day for my PhD and compare that to say a single parent who's trying to work three jobs to pay rent and feed their children. So there's no, I'm not working nearly as hard as that, but I'm getting so much outsized benefit for it. So that's also a dimension of privilege that I learned about, as I say, from Ijoma Oluo in, in her book. Um, so you want to talk about race. So thank you for level setting about what I mean when I'm talking about privilege. So yes, it's I, the luck piece, the unearned advantage piece and that disproportionate yeah. benefit piece. Just, no, just because you talked about PhD and I happen to be watching Apple's, which is Lessons in Chemistry. If you haven't yes, seen it. Yes, I then, have seen it. Oh my gosh. And she doesn't get her PhD because something horrific happens. Yeah. Which, mm. And then all the discrimination, which might have even happened if she had the PhD, but that uh. is a uh, one version of that. Yeah, great. I love the analogy and very timely with our with pop culture. <laughs> if you haven't seen the series, watch the series, but it makes me mad almost every time I have to, we have to turn this off. I'm so upset. <laughs> so now, because I think it was helpful to talk about that and get that clarified. And then you were also talking about the idea that when someone has privilege, because I do think there's something important about not just saying, oh, I'm going to give up my privilege 
That doesn't actually help anyone because you can't, for one thing, because it was. But I just remember years year when I was when Roots was on TV and I was the only white kid in my black high school. And every day I would go to school and I would get beaten up and shoved in the locker. And actually, I felt like I deserved it. I was pretty okay with it because I was like, I'm watching this. (laughs) And I know I wasn't around, but and I so I really did get it. But I also was later in my life, I realized hating white people, that is not. And hating myself for being white is not in any way, shape, or form helping this Mm -hmm. situation. It's because, yeah. So it's like how to actually help people get, you can't disown your privilege. You actually have to use it responsibly, which is, that's a challenge. And I think that's a lot of what you talk about in your book is how to use, shift that to flip the privilege or or use it construct instead of without knowing you have wind at your back. Yeah. Can you talk about that, Jason? Yeah. Yeah. So two pieces of that. And I love how you framed that up. And some other time I would love to hear more about your childhood experiences because it sounds absolutely fascinating. But so two pieces. First, in terms of the self-loathing, I think that's a pretty common overreaction that folks have in recognizing Mm -hmm. their privilege. I've done that. I have moments still today when I do that. And then what I find really helpful, and this also, one of the sources of resistance, I think, especially again, at least in the United States, culture is we start to feel like we can't even go there because then all of a sudden I'm not a good person Mm -hmm. and we Mm -hmm. can't stand the thought. We can't, we don't have tools for reconciling the privilege that we have and our complicitness in continuing unjust systems with being a good person. The systems perspective can be extremely helpful. I am a product of the systems that I grew up in and that I still live in. And those Mm -hmm. systems have wired my brain in a very specific way that has uh, like I've got these unconscious biases burned into my brain through everything that I've been exposed to from the moment I was born. So those systems created all of this nasty stuff in my own mind. They created all of the systems that have granted me this privilege. I had no agency in that. And the fact that I sit where I do in the system has absolutely nothing to do with whether or not I'm a good person. That's also a binary question too, which is to, to whatever extent I'm a good person it has nothing to do with that at all. So one mm-hmm. of the things, on the, so then turning to the book, one of the things that I focus on is actions. That's, it's how we show up in the world. It's, the, it's taking actions that have a positive impact. That's what's gonna, if we're interested in being a quote unquote good person, that's where to focus our attention. Oh, and that, that brings me to one of your blogs that I just love, like intent, I think this was intense, important, but impact is what matters or something along those lines. Because, mm-hmm. you know, I think intention sometimes does get in the way of actually paying attention to, no, but notice what was your impact, because that actually matters even more. And that's what you're getting at with this action piece. Is that Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. And it's also really hard. And in that, first of all, thank you for reading the blog post. And I'm really glad that I'm really glad that you liked it. <laughs> and, as, and as I share in the post, that there was this very, this professional training that I received where my colleagues wouldn't let me weasel out of the impact that I had, the negative impact. They're like, Jason, you need to focus on this. This mm-hmm. is what matters. Mm-hmm. And it was inc- extremely difficult learning because it was like every, if you could just imagine a baby throwing a template, I don't wanna, I don't wanna, <laughs> don't make me do this. You can't make me do this. I could all of every fiber of my being struggling against reckoning 
with the impact of my actions. But we don't, we like, if we really mean what we say about using our agency to create a, a more just and equitable world, we don't have a choice. And the possible, basically, if we don't do that, we close off any possibility of change. If we do reckon with impact, then at least we have a chance. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and we need a chance. I, yeah. I do think people, what you were saying before, oh, I'm not a good person. I thought my intentions were good. Is me trying to hold on to I'm a good person. Yeah. It's that white fragility. And then apologizing mm -hmm. profusely is another, which people don't want to either. And it's, I had another point, but it, it disappeared. So <laughs> <laughs> that's happened to me before. <laughs> I'm very familiar with that one. <laughs> well, and I think it's such a tricky thing when you were talking about our systems are what actually end up carrying so much of there. That's where a lot of these dynamics keep getting played out, keep getting dealt with. And there's just in hindered always even more power imbued in certain sy systems for sure. But it, it also brings up like this is one of my more things that have come up for me recently is how things like politics, religion, and legal, legal systems, mm -hmm. those three things, anything that, that, because there's just, how do you ever get to the bottom of right, wrong in any of that? Because it's just totally, you get people on a religious bent and you can't, this, we're facing some of that challenge really yeah. loud right now, the geopolitical challenge, make it political. You can't, people get into the right, wrong. And it's, there's, it goes beyond just a good, it just becomes this thing that's, there is no way to talk about it. And if you can't talk about it, you have absolutely no chance to heal, come through and, and make any sort of conscious decisions differently. Yeah. So, oh, yeah. I think, I think, and this is where I feel like as a species, we have some more evolving to do. And I don't mean like, genetic evolution that's done we're not out struggling on the savannah anymore having our being selected for the traits that are gonna have we got selected it may have been a mistake but we got selected <laughs> we're here right but the whole and i struggle with this so much i think to some extent all humans are inclined towards the binary but i also feel like i'm a little bit more inclined than a lot of people to, to the binary which is to say i've got very strong feelings very strong opinions and it can be very challenging for me to see nuance but that's our only hope. We have to get better at holding multiple truths. And it's really hard to do that. It's really hard to, especially if we talk about systems. I think one of the one of the points of or one of the implications of what you're saying is that the systems that we are functioning use the political, religious, economic, they're all based on polarization. Or, yes. or elite legal was the third one, but, but they're all based on they're all based on polarization. And they all thrive inside of polarization and by through perpetuating polarization. And so it's really hard to carve out and hold space for multiple truths. And I do actually want to shout out a book that I read that impacted me a lot. I think I read it about a year ago. Uh, the author is Michelle Mijung Kim. And the book is called The Wake Up. Okay. Yeah, it's a really powerful book. I think she has managed to create a work that is honest and loving at the same time. Okay. Like I'm, re I'm reading this as a, a cishet, able-bodied white man, and it would, one could feel called out, but I felt very called in because it's because she is so transparent and vulnerable about her own struggles with her own 
aspects of the aspects of her identity that are more privileged, not just the less privileged aspects of her identity. And she really focuses in a lot on the both and abundance mindset, holding multiple truths as a skill set for the future of humanity. Mm-hmm. So I just want to want to cite her as a major influence in my thinking on this. I want to, because you folks are talking about systems and global. So I want to bring it because the, the first okay. system is the family system and then the organizational system. Mm-hmm. But you care about this. There's lots of people. DEI is diversity, equity, inclusion is and belonging is now very big. But in organizations, what I can see is people are stressed. Oh my God, I got to get my work done. I don't have time for all this. Who cares? I feel like a victim myself. Mm-hmm. Even if I'm high on the org chart, I've got to I've got to make this project successful. So that stress certainly makes my focus narrow. You mm. become an object to me that is in my way, not another human that I'm connected to that I want to support depending on who you look. So how do you deal with the everyday like even making people now there's a lot of stuff that's making people care because now it's a big deal in organizations but are they really caring? <laughs> are they really are we really caring? Is it because it feels like people are so survival focused, in my opinion. I think you're far from alone in that opinion. <laughs> it's it is like the truth of the workplace. It's a scarcity based, yeah, ex- extractive mm-hmm. environment that we're functioning inside of in the workplace, and that's all a function of the systems yeah. <laughs> inside of which organizations are operating. And it also ties back again to survival. It's a pretty short logical chain from oh my God, I might die to, oh my God, my boss might be mad at me. Right. Because yeah. we we do still have to survive. And the means that we do that is, is we have money that we exchange for the for our survival needs, food, clothing, housing, et cetera. And of course, it's going to feel existential if we make our boss mad and feel that, that our boss has this tremendous say over our working conditions, which is our living conditions in this really important mm-hmm. way, survival conditions. In the crush and triage of everyday work, it is really hard to keep all this stuff front of mind. And so there's a lot of complexities. And I'll just I'll tell just a really brief story from the book that gets into this some of the complexities of this because it's very easy to caricature. Like, oh, look at this Jason, this Jason Patton guy. He's like telling us we can all just go and make workplaces more inclusive, but they don't understand my constraints, or he doesn't understand my constraints. True, of course, I don't understand. (laughs) <laughs> anyone's constraints unless I know them. But these are things that I've wrestled with as a leader and that I tell a story actually of a leader named Brian who has a one of one of his direct reports was consistently showed up to meetings late. And he had coached his employee about this and she made a little bit of progress, but he was not really satisfied with how much progress she had made. And then his boss started to notice mm. that she was showing up late to senior staff meetings. And he instructed Brian to make sure that the employee got to the meetings on time. Mm. And I put this inside of a of an intercultural context, and I talk about different cultural orientations towards time. And Edward T. Hall discovered this mm. difference a few decades ago, monochronic versus polychronic time. We had tend to operate very monochronically. As time is a limited resource, there's only so much of it. We got to go in and we structure our time linearly, A, B, C, D, E. A polychronic is much more kind of relationship-focused and flowy and flexible. And we work inside of a monochronic context. So the the systems tell us, but the the systems are very clear about what's good and bad. It's not okay to be polychronic. You have to be monochronic. 
And that's another aspect to talk about in the book is the systems tell us what's normal and what's acceptable and then what's deviations from normal. And so Brian did what he could with his employee, but it was ultimately limited by the larger structures around him, the systems around him. So he had a boss who said, get her to show up on time. And he essentially, rather than what a central concept in the book is bridging, which is adapting our behavior towards the preferences of those who have less power. And I give a lot of examples of how leaders can do that effectively. In this case, Brian was really limited in his ability to do that. So he ended up coaching his employee, basically said, do it differently. <laughs> I really need you to do this differently. Yeah. And he was really unable to bridge because any given leader is going to be constrained in a lot of different ways because of the systems. And so the book is really focused about inside of those constraints. So recognize what the constraints are. And then inside of that, what can I do right. as a leader to adapt my behavior to bridge towards those who have less power? Because the opposite is what we always do. And that leads to stress and burnout. Right. When we're always just unconsciously assuming that everyone else is going to do the assimilating, code switching, accommodating, integrating. And that's a recipe for just continuing what we have, which is not good. Yeah. And did Brian, did the woman quit or did she get every, what happened? The, she and I actually, I don't end up telling the story in the book, but yeah, she didn't last much longer. She ended up leaving. Then she was really talented. Oh, that's sad. It's interesting. This is another, I just remember when I worked in up in more indigenous cultures up in the north. And very, and that would be a culture that's polychronic, more polychronic. Yes. And that, yeah. Oh, very well, at least if you go and work in there naturally that way. And it was interesting coming in, trying to imply to impose a different because I was like, what? And yet it was actually <laughs> cool. Like I was like, I don't know how to have be a, I was a family violence since teacher and touch it. And I was supposed to schedule my time, but Clearly, no one would ever show up in any of the time that, and I was, it was always, that's our time. So you have to go with our, so I finally, we finally were like, okay, I'll just set broad clumps of time and whoever shows up and it could be people from different families, different things. It was a fascinating experience. And, but I did say I start on time and I end on time, but there's a big block of time. You show up anytime in this and we'll come up with some sort of way to work with you and your family or you and You'll, we'll see. And it ended up working, but it was fascinating to be where there probably was. Not totally. You could tell that there was some of that was actually in resistance to so much influence of okay. the, this was up in Canada, but the the cultural piece coming in to try to force the change. And well, it was, okay, this is another piece to work with because some of this isn't totally bad to show up sometime during the two hours. We, I'm willing to work with you, but it was interesting to go through that process. How to, how much of this is just because you have every reason to be pissed off that you're being told you have to be here at a certain time and you always have. And how much of this is just really is inherent to who you are. We're going to have to figure that out. It was interesting. So. I just want to, I want to, what's the word I'm looking for? I want to give you credit for showing up the way you did because you actually I think you demonstrated the kind of inclusive leadership that I'm trying to promote in this book here that I'm trying to that I'm trying to encourage and empower folks to do because you didn't just go in and say my way or the highway. Right. You found this kind of hybrid model where you start and finish according to a policy. So a monochronic start, monochronic end here. But you're carving out in, inside of this monochronic universe, you're carving out a space for a polychronic way of being. Yeah, And that's really creative and self-aware and really, I think, a brilliant form of bridging. And that's the kind of thing I'm writing about in the book. And that's yeah. the kind of thing that I like to, that I talk about. I do in my consulting as well is 
is that the, that's actually a great living example of, I think, of a really effective bridging leadership that you're that you just shared. And Jason, talk about how you, as we were coming to a close, but I want you to talk about how you do work with clients to help yeah. them create more inclusivity in their organizations. It really depends on the client, but I guess I'll give an example of an ideal client that, and I'll mention Lauren Maloney Ignatius, my business partner with the Bridge Labs. We worked with a client where we had buy-in from the very top, and this is a really important piece of this as well, is to the extent that the very top leaders, the folks with the most organization, the top of the org chart, get bought into this, they can create a culture where this kind of work, this kind of leading gets done more consistently. So we had a buy-in from the very top and their organization hired us. Really, we've been working with them for several years now and the, the work has grown over time. And it's to the point now where a lot of the terminology and the practices that we've been training them on have become second nature to them. And but, but the way that it came about is we start started with a series of workshops in our core content areas. So like you, one of ours is intercultural conflict style or conflict. So intercultural conflict styles is a specific model that we use for that. Communication and work style preferences, which also goes by the name cultural dimensions, uh, leadership styles and followership styles. All of these are focused on behaviors, looking at workplace behaviors and identifying behaviors and how they connect to values. And then connecting that up with identity as well and power. Oh, sorry. Go ahead, Susan, please. No, I just love that. That's so important when people are doing something to realize that it's probably got something inherently to do with the value they have. But if they don't even know that's what's driving it, yeah, just yeah. Keep going. Sorry. <laughs> okay. All right. No, it's fine. No, it's great. That's great. And and um, if we, and I know we're wrapping up, but there's, I do want to touch on that a little bit as well. So anyway, so that was, it was essentially a series of workshops, which then they liked what they liked what they saw. And we started doing a series of lunch, learn and share sessions where we invited in some subject matter experts from identity groups, from marginalized identity groups to help yeah. to share from them about their lived experiences and offers bridging strategies to folks. And then we ended up doing a, a climate survey for where we were able to generate reports for the leaders about how they were doing with their teams and specific advice for them in terms of how to improve their inclusive leadership. We participated in several retreats with them. So we love getting involved with organizations over the long haul. That's our ideal engagement way. But if somebody is interested in just the conflict workshop or just the communication and work styles workshop, we can do that too. My take on all of this is, okay, you could invite somebody in and they talk at you for two or three hours mm -hmm. and nothing happens. I, I, Lauren and I, we're not interested in that. Mm -hmm. I do think that you could invite somebody like Bridge Labs because I really believe in what we do and we're very skills focused. And I guess that's one thing I want to focus on that I want to stress about our work is that it's really focused on skill building. Mm -hmm. And we're not content to just leave folks with a bunch of content to think about. We want folks to leave our workshops with specific, concrete things to do every day. Yeah. And I believe that even if we don't have the opportunity to get involved with an organization on the, in the long term, that there still is benefit, even if we have, say, three hours with a group of people, that there's still benefit to that as well. Yeah. Hey, I just want to echo because when I worked with you at through the UC Berkeley training that I went through, it was always experiential. And that's our view of the world too. Mm -hmm change doesn't happen because we're dealing with the the limbic system that knows how to do something the same way. So we're looking at how to change that and becoming aware of our filters, the unconscious bias and all that 
is a slower process, repetitive (laughs) in a lot of ways. Yeah. Yeah. It has to be iterative. Yes. Hey, Jason, how can our listeners find out more about you, find your book, all that good stuff? Do you have like episode notes or show notes? Yes. Um, yeah. Yeah. Because we can just put it all in there. It's there's I have my jasonpatent.com website and then there's Bridge Lab, the Bridge Labs website. And you can always email me jason at jasonpatent.com. I'm on LinkedIn a lot too. So I invite, uh, welcome you to come connect with me there too. And he's got a great blog that he puts out on LinkedIn. Yes. So. And, <laughs> and also the book. It's yeah. on Amazon too, right? They can get it. Yes. And you would like to give variety, but Amazon will get it to you. <laughs> and just so you know, the name of the book is Humanly Possible, A New Model of Leadership for a More Inclusive World, which I think you tell lots of good stories in there that help people grab hold mm-hmm. of these concepts pretty readily. So I got a challenge for you though. I think you should run for... Congress, or <laughs> that's where they need some very serious inclusivity. <laughs> you never know. It, yeah, maybe there's uh, a way. I, that, that's very kind and generous of you. I don't have. I don't know. I don't know that I have what it takes to. If, if I could even get elected, if I have what it takes to actually serve an elected office, but I appreciate the thought very much. We're fans. That's yes. what you need to know, Jason. Oh, I think the feeling is one hundred percent mutual. I really. <laughs> meant it when I said that I love every moment that I get to have with the both of you. So thank you so much for your kindness and your generosity. Absolutely. Thanks for being on the show. Yes. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Susan here. As a coach, a lot of my time is spent helping clients speak up in a direct and honest way in their relationships at home and at work. Chris Marie and I decided to create a speak up kit to help you do that for yourself. It's the best of our best work that we've gathered to help you. To learn more, go to thriveinc.com forward slash speak up. That's www.thriveinc.com forward slash S-P-E-A-K-U-P.